Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. My guest today is Lisa Steele. Lisa is a fifth-generation chicken keeper and runs the blog Fresh Eggs Daily. She's also author of the recently released book, The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Lisa, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Eggs are one of the first foods that I really remember loving, so I think you're perfect for the show because I always love them. And when getting to this, I realize even now how important eggs are to our diet. Exactly. It's hard to find somebody who doesn't eat them. They fit into Whole30 and keto and vegetarian and all different sorts of diets. And I think, you know, with people trying to cut out some red meat maybe here and there, they're a good protein option. So eggs are great. They're wonderful, I would say. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background as a chicken keeper and a blogger. Yes, so we live in Maine. We moved here about five years ago. We were living in Virginia, and we did bring some of our chickens and ducks with us. We've since added geese to our flock, but they actually do better in the colder weather, so everybody is super happy up here. We love it. We started with the flock in 2009, so it's been 13 years, and I started blogging about not really in my adventures, but more uh, tips and advice and things to help people raise their backyard flocks. And back in 2009, it was during the recession. A lot of people were getting into gardening and making bread and raising their own food and all that kind of stuff, kind of like we've seen in the last two years. So it was a really, really great time to get into it and start talking about it. And things just kind of grew really fast on social media and led to my first book deal. So I've written six books on raising backyard flocks, hatching chicks, things like that, and was super excited to just release an egg cookbook because I think it was the next natural step for me. I kind of had said everything I could say about chickens. I think so, too. Were recipes always a focus of your blog when it began? Not at all. Over (laughs) the years, I have shared a few recipes, not all egg recipes, but for the most part, yes, here and there, but it really wasn't the focus at all. It was just something that I enjoyed on the side and kind of always thought, oh, it would be so cool to be a food blogger and write a cookbook. But especially now, it seems like unless you're a professional photographer, recipe tester, recipe developer, that kind of thing, you know, the food space is so crowded, so saturated. And I was sort of able to come in from the side because I have this huge following who raised chickens and came to me for that advice. But my publisher obviously realized that these people also probably would be interested in a cookbook. So I was super lucky in that aspect. Similar things have happened to me with my blog because when I started, it was the same thing. It wasn't at all intended to be another blog about recipes. And then what I first did was actually began publishing other people's recipes of people that have been on the show. But what I found was that just as a hobby, I like to cook and I would post photos that I make on my social media and people would ask me for the recipes for them. Right. Yes. Yeah. You can't get away anymore with just posting your breakfast or (laughs) posting your dinner. People always want the recipe. Right. And sometimes I didn't really have a specific recipe written down, so I'd have to 
come up with it, but I've actually enjoyed it. And yeah, kind of once I've done one, then you suddenly realize it's fun actually creating recipes and putting them on. It is. So you've talked a lot about how you have your backyard chickens. Would you encourage more people to raise backyard chickens? You know, I would. I think that it's a really great hobby, I guess, if you'd call it that. It's something that's really great if you have kids. You know, chickens are small and they're not super intimidating. It doesn't cost a lot of money really to get started. And once you have your setup, you have a coop for them to sleep in and lay their eggs and you have a nice safe pen for them so nothing eats them. (laughs) It's not a huge time commitment. Morning and night, you just kind of let them out, feed them, check for eggs, put them back in. It's more the consistency. You have to be home. Kind of like with any animal, you can't just take off without making some kind of arrangements for them. But other than that, I mean, there's not really a lot to it. How about in terms of building the chicken coop that time consuming? Yeah, that can be, you're super handy. You could obviously build one. There's a lot of kits out there. You can buy a coop ready-made, delivered on a truck, depending on what your budget is. But you can also really easily convert a shed or a playhouse or another outbuilding that you might have, even a doghouse if you only have a couple chickens. So if you're in the least bit creative and handy, you probably can build or modify something that will work great. We are seeing more people raise backyard chickens now. It's interesting because for a long time, I never heard of it for most of my life. But when you look back, it actually used to be much more common thing. You'd even see ads saying, Uncle Sam wants you to raise chickens. They kind of went along with the Victory Gardens in World War II, and I actually was reading up on the history of it. And, of course, you know, way back when, everybody who lived out in the country had chickens and cows and all kinds of animals. And it wasn't really until the supermarket started to become popular, I believe, like in the late 50s, early 60s, that people sort of stopped raising chickens because it was really easy just to buy eggs at the grocery store. And then it sort of died out, like in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and more people had two people in the family working, so no one was home. And it had a resurgence with the recession, really, which I think is great. Me too. You know, if if it's one of the nice things that's come out of COVID, I have to say also, people are looking more at their food sources, and they're learning how to bake bread, and they're learning how to grow gardens. I think that all of that stuff is really important, regardless of what's going on in the world. It's never a bad thing to have your food be fresher and more local. I think so, too. That was an advantage we had of coming out of these past couple of years, and it certainly was a big thing for me to be able to cover it with all of this going on. Yeah, it's super reassuring to know that if you have a garden and you have a couple of chickens, you're never going to starve. You can absolutely feed your family without having a hundred chickens. You don't have to have a lot to have enough eggs for your family for the week. You do. So chicken raising, great thing. More people should look into it. In terms of eggs themselves, what is it that you like about eggs in terms of the health benefits and the taste? Eggs are a great source of protein. They're one of the few foods that are a complete protein with all the amino acids. Also, fun fact, an egg contains every nutrient needed for life except for vitamin C. And I really have never gotten a good answer why they don't have vitamin C in them. (laughs) But it makes sense because an egg turns into a baby chick. So it has to start with all the things that you need for life. So for that reason, eggs are just a really great source of a lot of different nutrients. But I think they're also super versatile. So, you know, they can be used in sweet dishes, savory dishes. You can use just the yolks. You can use just the whites. There are so many different ways to cook them. So I think it's really easy to fit them into your diet. Speaking of that, I know a lot of people are afraid of the yolks. What would you say to people who don't want to eat the yolk? 
If you're not eating the yolk, you're missing out on pretty much all the nutrients. There's not really much in the egg white except for some protein. And you're missing out on all the taste as well. So I don't think that people should be afraid of eating the yolk. You should be eating the whole egg. I would say so too. There's actually, I think, a lot of myths about eggs. What would you say are some of the common ones? Well, I do think just sticking on the health one is that they have done studies that dietary cholesterol really doesn't contribute to health problems as much as they originally thought it did. So obviously people should talk with their doctor, but, you know, eating a lot of eggs is probably not as bad for you as you think. And when you think of what you might be substituting for that, like if you're not having an egg for breakfast, what are you having a bagel or some sugar cereal or a donut? You know, those are not any more healthy. So I think sticking with the eggs is smart, but I think overall misconceptions, the biggest one I hear from people who follow me is They think you need a rooster for your chickens to lay eggs. So they want to raise chickens for eggs, and then their neighborhood won't allow roosters. And they're concerned because they think the hens won't lay any eggs. And you absolutely don't need a rooster. Your hens will still lay eggs. They just won't ever turn into baby chicks. Do you have a rooster? (laughs) We do, (laughs) by accident. He was supposed to be a girl. I'm not a huge fan of roosters in general because mating season is super hard on the hens. And we've had a lot of really aggressive roosters, but... Ours is a bantam, so he's only about a third the size of a real chicken. (laughs) He's very, very small, like the size of a grapefruit, so he doesn't cause much trouble. That's good. Of course, I think a rooster could be great if you have any neighbors with noisy dogs. You could get them back by bringing a rooster. Right, exactly. (laughs) In addition to myths about having a rooster and eggs in terms of health, there's also a lot of myths about labels we see on eggs in the supermarket, which I know you talk about in your book. So let's get to that a little bit. Yes, that is something that I've actually written blog posts on. I recently had to go buy eggs because I've been doing a lot of cooking segments and demos promoting my cookbook and my chickens aren't really laying that great this time of year. So I had to go buy store-bought eggs. And when you walk up to the display, an egg carton is like a billboard. They put as many words on that carton as they possibly can to try to get you to buy it. And a lot of them just really are marketing terms like natural, you know, all eggs are natural. Farm fresh really doesn't have any meaning. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. It's just kind of conjuring happy thoughts. Farm washing, as I call it. Right, exactly, farm washing. Antibiotic or hormone-free really doesn't mean anything because in this country, chickens aren't allowed to be given hormones, and most laying hens are not given antibiotics either. So that's kind of like putting gluten-free on the package because they never did have gluten in them. (laughs) So really, when you look at an egg carton, if you care at all about how the chicken that laid those eggs was treated, what you want to look for is pasture-raised and preferably humane-certified pasture-raised That means those chickens have been outside on grass or in a wooded area. They've been out in the sunshine. They're eating bugs and weeds and all kinds of great things. And that's really what you want to look for. If you eat an organic diet, then looking for the organic label could be important. But that relates more to a chicken's diet than how they're actually treated. So personally, I would look for pasture-raised as my number one thing that I want to see on an egg carton. I would agree, too, that pasture-raised is the most important. I would say organic is also important, too, and there is some variation of those because you see some pasture-raised where it doesn't give any type of label, but what they're fed, then you see some that says pasture-raised where they'll say a non-GMO diet, which I think some people are confused that a non-GMO diet could still mean non-organic. The feed they're given could be still given some pesticides, and we are seeing a lot of the pasture-raised eggs do also have the organic label. 
They do. And it's important to remember also that some small farms just don't have the money to get certified. It's actually pretty expensive to get the organic certification. So there could be a local farm near you that might even have eggs at your grocery store. And they might technically be organic, but they just haven't gotten that certification. So it's important to ask questions maybe if you're going to a farmer's market. Definitely talk to the farmer. Yes. Get an idea if you can visit the farm. Someone has a fresh egg sign out by the road. Stop and ask them some questions. Depends on what's important to you, though. But to me, it's important that the chickens are happy. (laughs) I know another thing a lot of times people like to see on eggs that they weren't fed any corn or soy what are your thoughts on that yeah that's to the the gmo and again it's you know a personal preference if eating non-gmo is important to you then you probably would want to look for a corn or a soy free fed chicken a lot of the cartons will say vegetarian fed which just makes me laugh because chickens are omnivores. I mean, they'll eat each other if given the opportunity. Mine have taken down wild birds and snakes and lizards and frogs. I mean, they eat everything. They don't just eat vegetables. So that's not something I would necessarily pay any attention to on a label. Oh, yes. In the ancestral food world, we've gotten a great laugh at the whole vegetarian fed. And we've even seen some, I'm not kidding, that say 100% grass fed. (laughs) Because there's no weeds in that grass, and there's no bugs, right. and there's no earthworms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. In addition to labels, I know there's also a lot people wonder about the color of the yolk. What are your thoughts on that? The color of an egg itself, you know, the shell, the brown, white, blue, whatever, is dependent on the breed of chicken that lays it, period. They're not going to taste better or be more nutritious or whatever. It's just a different color egg. The color of the yolk is 100% dependent on what that chicken is eating. So there are some foods that contain pigments that make egg yolks orange, like marigolds, carrots, a lot of leafy greens, parsley, alfalfa. So in general, a more orange yolk is going to mean that the egg has more nutrition in it because the chicken is eating a varied diet and probably is out on pasture. But commercial egg farmers have gotten wise to the fact that people want really orangey egg yolks and they will add to a conventional chicken feed that might be loaded with corn and soy and all that stuff that's not really super nutritious. They'll add marigold or something to, I'm going to say artificially color the yolk, but it's a natural thing and marigolds are actually really good for them. So that's tough to tell. You know, they're kind of manipulating the chicken's diet to get that orange yolk, but in the process, they probably are making a more nutritious egg. Interesting. And I like that you bring up the color of the eggshell as well, because I think there's this whole belief that brown eggs are healthier for them. And that's why it seems like almost every pasture-raised egg that you find in the supermarket is brown. It's all because of what people think. Yes. Early on, when supermarkets first started, they were selling white eggs. And farmers were usually raising chickens that laid brown eggs. And the simple reason for that is that most of the chickens that lay white eggs are from the Mediterranean, and they're very small, they're very sleek, and they don't eat as much food. So for a commercial chicken farm, it's much more economical to raise these smaller chickens because it costs them less to produce a dozen eggs. So for the farmers, where they were probably using the chickens for meat and for eggs, you know, when you hatch chicks, you're going to get probably half roosters and half hens. So they would be eating the roosters and using the hens for laying. So they wanted larger chickens, dual purpose, that could be used for meat or for eggs. And it costs more 
for that chicken to produce a dozen eggs because she's eating more because she's bigger. So that's really the only reason the store-bought eggs were white. And the perception was that the farm fresh eggs were brown. And now you do see a lot of brown eggs in the store and they do usually sell for more because the perception is that they are fresher or more nutritious or whatever. And in reality, if they're all being laid by chickens in cages in a warehouse, they're probably all about the same. What colors are your eggs? They are brown, pale pink, green, blue. We do have ducks that lay white and sort of a light bluish green color. And our geese lay white eggs. I love that because I think it's so beautiful when you see a mixture of different colors of eggs in your carton. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see more of that. What advantages would you give to people eating other types of eggs, such as geese eggs or duck eggs? They are higher in fat, so they taste a little bit eggier or richer. Some people love the taste and some people find them a little bit too gamey or earthy, but they're really great to use for baking because they do have a higher fat content and lower water content than the chicken eggs do. So your baked goods are going to rise better. They're going to be lighter. They're going to be fluffier. There's a ratio though, because obviously they're bigger. So three chicken eggs equals two duck eggs, which equals one goose egg. So you can easily substitute in different types of eggs into your recipes if you're lucky enough to either raise ducks or geese or find them somewhere, specialty market or farmer's market or something. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of geese eggs at farmer's markets or in stores, but I've noticed that we're seeing a rise in duck eggs. That's becoming a more popular thing. It is, and people who do raise ducks, they'll sell sometimes six duck eggs for like $12. Right. So if you're thinking of raising a backyard flock to earn money selling the eggs, I wouldn't focus on chickens because chicken eggs generally go for maybe two or three dollars a dozen maybe five or six if you're raising them organically but yeah duck eggs you can sell for a lot more money you can and there's a growing market for them everyone's selling chicken eggs duck eggs Mm -hmm. more people are looking for and this is the time to get into it i would say yeah i agree plus we love our ducks i find them so much easier than chickens much more low maintenance oh interesting easier to keep happy yeah so you have chicken geese and duck Have you tried any other kind of eggs, such as ostrich eggs, quail eggs, turkey eggs? I haven't, and I love the look of the quail eggs, and I would love to get my hands on some. I have some recipe ideas that I would love to use those little kind of bite-sized eggs for. Yeah. But the problem with quail, well, number one, they fly, so you have to keep them enclosed Mm. in something. Mm. And number two, I think they only live for like two years. So I just feel like it would be incredibly sad that you just have quail dying all the time. Yeah. (laughs) They're like hamsters, you know, they (laughs) don't have a long life. Yeah. They are tasty, though. There's a restaurant I go to, and they serve a quail egg in a Nisswa salad, so I know I do like the taste of them. And they're like little bite-sized hard-boiled eggs. I've had quail legs wrapped in bacon. Anytime I see quail on a menu, if I'm out at a restaurant, I order it because I really do like quail meat. But then again, so adorable. I can't raise them and eat them. I can't do that. So do you then eat the other animals that you raise, such as the chicken and the duck? No. 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 Mm -mm. They're just for eggs. Gotcha. But I'm not a vegetarian. I love duck in particular. Chicken, I just kind of found chicken to be bland. I think most people do. (laughs) You have to do an awful lot to a chicken breast to make it taste good. It's not my first choice. I'd rather eat lamb or duck, something like that, that has a little bit more taste. Rabbit, like all those meats better. Yes, because I know chicken is the most popular protein in this country, although I think that has a lot to do just with the whole fat phobia Mm -hmm. and it's certainly more of people's perceived health beliefs than actually anything related with taste because i think in terms of taste chicken is 
kind of near the bottom. I think people prefer even other types of poultry like duck and then, of course, pork and beef, mm-hmm. lamb. Yeah, and if I have to eat chicken, I'd rather have a leg or a thigh. I think the dark meat, at least, it's not as dry. Yeah, it tastes a little better. Me too. I was going to say the thighs are the best part. Yeah, with chicken breast... I typically like to season it with some spice. That's the way that I'm able to get a good chicken breast. You got to do a lot to them. (laughs) Definitely. You do. The other thing, though, is when I have chicken breasts, I don't do the boneless, skinless. I do it bone in and skin on. Right, which makes a difference as well. And again, like you said, people are afraid of the fat. So everything has had the skin removed from it. But it's so much more flavorful when you do cook something with the skin on it and even like cuts of steak, sometimes it's hard to find like a bone in ribeye or something. And I had a butcher tell me at the grocery store once that people didn't want to pay the extra money for the bone and the weight of the steak. But what people don't realize is that's when it's going to taste the best is when you're cooking something with the bone still in it. It is. And that's where your best option if you want the bone in ribeye is get it at the farmer's market because there it almost seems the opposite that a lot of Farmers actually want to sell it with the bone in. Right, exactly. And plus it's probably fresher. Yes. So many advantages to buy local, buy directly from the farmer. Mm -hmm. So getting back into eggs, what technique would you recommend for cooking eggs? There's so many ways. (laughs) I guess scrambled eggs is kind of everybody's go-to. You know, even if you have good intentions of making an omelet, a lot of times it ends up being scrambled. Right. But really, I think it's personal preference. Some people like fried eggs, and then even within fried eggs, you can have sunny side up, you can have over easy, you can have over hard. You know, you can take an egg and you could give 100 people an egg and say, cook this, and I bet you'd get 100 different ways to have it cooked. Oh, absolutely. Do you have a favorite way to cook eggs for breakfast? I do. I love Eggs Benedict. Mm. If I could only choose one way to eat eggs the rest of my life, it would be Eggs Benedict. I love a great homemade hollandaise sauce. You don't even need the bread on the bottom. If you just put a pool of hollandaise on a plate and put a poached egg on top, oh yeah, delicious. Oh, totally. Yeah. For me personally, I think the fried egg is my favorite type. Really? Yeah. I mean, I love eggs. Yeah, they're all good. I yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that scrambled eggs are the most popular. Yes. I like them, don't get me wrong. I don't know that I would put them actually as my favorite because I kind of like it where you have the egg whites and the yolk that remain separate and you get to treasure the taste of both of them. I agree with you. And it's, it's surprising to me because a lot of the recipes in my book, or some of them, have like a runny yolk. You know, egg benedict is the perfect example. You're not going to have a fully cooked egg because when you break it open, you don't have that really nice runny yolk to mix with everything. But I've had a lot of comments from people that they just can't stand if the yolk isn't fully cooked. And I kind of feel like that's ordering a steak well done in a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. I think my sweet spot for an egg is not hard boiled, but it's more between six and eight minutes. So it's still jammy in the middle. But so many people are turned off by that. And I don't really understand why. Oh, that's a shame because soft boiled eggs are amazing. Yes, I know. Warm. Just, oh, they're so good. Of course, maybe my second favorite type of egg for breakfast is the over easy, which is something where if I don't want an egg that's totally runny for the day, then I'll go for that. Well, if you're putting it like on a burger yes. or in a sandwich or something, it does kind of make a mess if the yolk is super runny. But yeah, hard boiled egg, I'd be more up to make them into deviled eggs at that point because I think at that point you've sort of overcooked the yolk. So then it needs some mayonnaise or something to soften it back up. <laughs> 
Yes, the over-easy egg is great for something because probably my favorite thing for breakfast actually is I have my own version of the Egg McMuffin with a sourdough English muffin and some grass-fed cheese and some pasture-raised pork sausage. Nice. And that makes a great breakfast. I'll bet. Yeah, that yes. sounds good. But yeah, a totally runny egg and an egg sandwich just makes a huge mess. It does. Of course, what you can do then is just use the English muffin, dip it in the egg yolk. That's what <laughs> I like to do if that happens. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so along with breakfast dishes, what are some of your favorite egg dishes in general for dessert and for meals, sweet, savory? We have a breakfast for dinner a lot, especially in the summer. And having just fried eggs and bacon and toast for dinner mm. is one of my favorite things. Or an omelet, frittatas, love frittatas because you don't have to make a crust. Right. <laughs> sort of like when you're lazy, you don't feel like making a quiche, but you can throw anything into them. So if you have leftover vegetables or meat or cheese, whatever, you can just throw them all into some egg and throw it in the oven and you've got a frittata for dinner. I think there's just so many different combinations that you can do for that. And for dessert, the creme brulee. If you have a really well-made creme brulee, I think that that's just like the king or queen of all desserts. Sounds great. Are there some egg dishes you like that people haven't heard about? In the cookbook, I tried to have some classics like pound cake, lemon meringue pie, Boston cream pie, things that the eggs really were the star, but people would be familiar with them. And then I wanted some that were a little bit different. So I included scotch eggs, which I personally didn't know about until a friend from the UK came over and taught me how to make them. So it's an egg that's encased in pork sausage and then breaded and deep fried. Those are really good. Or toad in the hole, which is sort of like a, I don't know, not really a custardy base, but sort of. And then you put sausages in it and bake it. And that's kind of a nice, could be either breakfast or dinner type meal also because it's a little more hearty. And then how about any dishes that we know of, but people wouldn't typically think to use eggs in? Yeah, it surprised me how many people were shocked that there were eggs in mayonnaise. Wow. <laughs> I did a video making mayonnaise and people were just shocked and disgusted and said they were never going to eat mayonnaise again because it had raw eggs in it. And other people were saying, well, what did you think was in mayonnaise? <laughs> but yes, it's super easy to make your own mayonnaise. In fact, I did a TV segment a week or so ago and I didn't want to use a blender or immersion blender or something. So I actually whisked it by hand in a bowl with a whisk and it really didn't take very long. Super easy to make. Hollandaise sauce, we already talked about. Caesar salad dressing is another great one that you can easily and quickly make at home. And I've also got recipes for marshmallows, marshmallow fluff, homemade sprinkles if you happen to want to make sprinkles for cupcakes at home. Just so much. Eggs are in almost everything. It's almost hard to find a recipe that doesn't have eggs in it. Right. Are there any recipes that typically didn't use eggs and you've decided to add them to it for a little twist? Well, brown sugar maple bacon, because, I mean, you can't have an egg cookbook without bacon, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a maple bourbon walnut sauce that's really good on pancakes or, you know, whatever. So I did include that one as well. And a chimichurri, one of the really nice things about eggs is that you can just throw anything into them. And if you have leftover pesto or chimichurri, it's really good mixed into scrambled eggs. You might actually even like scrambled eggs that way. Yeah, that does sound great. One of the recipes I saw in your blog, which intrigued me, was coffee with an egg in it. Yeah, that's kind of a weird recipe. But a couple of years ago, I stumbled across it. It's Swedish egg coffee or Lutheran church coffee, they call it. And it basically consists of just smashing an egg, shell and all, into your coffee grounds. And then you do have to use like a pot on the stove or a coffee pot. You can't do it in your coffee machine, but 
you put all of that into your boiling water and the egg draws the bitterness out of the coffee, but it also acts as sort of a French press. So it makes all the grounds sink to the bottom. So I tried it for a while and I was actually drinking it for a while. And it really does make a nice cup of coffee, surprisingly. On first hand, it may seem strange, but then it wasn't too long ago that we introduced the idea of putting butter in your coffee. So Mm -hmm. Maybe egg in your coffee could be the next trend. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I mean, people should definitely try it. Like, you know, what can it hurt? Even if you just use a regular pot on the stove and try it once. It was interesting, and I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, I know. I want to try it because that was certainly something that I was looking for when you wrote this is some kind of dish that just you normally wouldn't think of putting an egg in, but could actually be a nice surprise at how great it tastes. Mm-hmm. And as you talked, you had written several books. Do you have any plans for future books? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so far, this book, it's only been out for you know a little while, less than two weeks now. But so far, the response has been really great. People are having fun with it. They're posting pictures of the recipes they're making. I certainly have plenty more egg recipes. So who knows? Maybe. Sounds good. So before we go, is there anything else you'd like to let the listeners know about eggs? I really just think people, if they're at all interested, think about raising some chickens in your backyard because the difference between a fresh egg and an egg you get at the supermarket is night and day. Until you've actually had a fresh egg from a friend or a neighbor or your local farm, I don't think you can really explain it to somebody, but it really is a great hobby to get into. And you have my books on my blog or on social media at Fresh Eggs Daily. So there's certainly plenty of information out there about getting started. That sounds great. So let's know the website where they can find all of this. Yes, my website is FreshEggsDaily.com. And again, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Fresh Eggs Daily. My first book was called Fresh Eggs Daily. And my cookbook is the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. So I make it super easy for people. And if they'd like to order your books, where would you recommend that they go? Oh, your local bookstore or library is a great place. If they don't have it, they can probably order it for you. Or for those who want to order online, it's available. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Target, wherever books are sold. Wonderful. Lisa, it's been great having you on this program. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Me too. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'll be off next week as I'll be in Anaheim covering the Natural Products Expo, which you can follow on my social media. In two weeks, I return and my guest will be holistic nutritionist and natural chef Candace Kennedy. Also follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.